You know, one of the greatest mysteries in my life is something that I have discovered over the years of bike riding. Air leaks out of my tires. I don't know why the air leaks out of my tires. I pump them up. I get them to the pressure that I want them at. And inevitably, the air leaks out of my tires. I check for leaks. There are no leaks. This phenomenon happens when my tube is brand new. And the valve is brand new and nice and tight. Within a day or two, my tires are softer than when I aired them up. And here's the thing. I never let the air out. It does it all by itself. Somehow it just gets out. Now, here are two important truths that you need to know about this situation. Truth number one. It never works in reverse order. (laughs) The air always leaks out. It doesn't leak back in. Only out. Which leads to truth number two. I must be intentional about putting air in those tires because riding on underinflated tires is the pits. It is hard and it takes the joy out of riding my bike. And so you're wondering, what on earth is this about? Well, it occurred to me this week that life is a whole lot like a bike tire. The air of life is what keeps us going on each day's adventure and challenges. We never intentionally take air out, but it leaks out. Does it not? Life has a way of doing that, of deflating us. Difficult conversations. I'm having a great day, and then a hard conversation comes up. Out goes some of the air in my life. Broken relationships. A little more leaking of the air. Tough day at work. More air seeps out of that tire. Overwhelming circumstances. Can you relate? More leakage. Argument with a friend or a family member. And now I'm running close to flat. May sound silly. But that image of underinflated tires came to this came to me this week as I was thinking about our Luke. Six series and wanting to wrap that up this morning. Communion with God. Community with one another. And ministry to others is how we keep air in the tires for the ride of daily living. Because when the tires lose air... The ride becomes more difficult than it already is and joy in the ride of life each day can be impossible to experience when the tires are near flat. 
So then the important question is one of refilling the tires, right? Where and when do we refill? Do we slow down long enough to refill? How do we refill? You know, it seems to me if we really believe, and I know that most of us really do believe, that humans were made by God, then that means that we are relational creatures. And so it seems being intentional about living in relationship with God and cultivating that relationship with God, being intentional about living in relationship with others and cultivating those relationships, it seems that that is going to be the only way or the only thing that brings ultimate satisfaction to our souls. Because our soul is that part of us that's really us. You know, when this body is laying in the grave, I'm still going to exist. And so are you. How are you investing in your soul? Because the brokenness of this world in which we live brings disappointment, it brings pain, it brings heartache. And those things will inevitably push the air out of our tires. Commitment to relationships, I think, puts air in our life tires. And it makes the ride a whole lot more enjoyable. But it's important that we have a priority of relationships in order to which, to which we give ourselves Otherwise, strangely enough, relationships flatten the tires too. And so I hope the image kind of sticks in your head because that is where we've been in this Luke 6 text is, is talking about priorities. I want us to read the story one last time together in this series as we review and apply the priority of relationship that Jesus establishes by His life's actions, relationship priorities in order that I think ought to characterize the life of every follower of Jesus. Now remember the, the immediate context for this story has been the, the growing popularity of Jesus. Luke cites for us two instances of Jesus being in the synagogue and, and doing Miraculous things, teaching in ways that, that capture the attention of the crowd, challenging the teaching of the religious leaders. And Luke tells us, just before our text, that the leaders were discussing what to do about Jesus. So let's stand and read from Luke 6. Together, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, 
James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea. From Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I love the way that, that Luke follows the scene of Jesus on the mountain, calling his apostles, coming down and ministering to this large crowd with what we know as the Beatitudes. Find these also in Matthew chapter 5. Because I think when Luke turns and looks at his disciples and then says those things, he is saying to them, this is what life in the kingdom of God is about. And we can, if we don't think it through, easily and quickly rush into, in a moment of excitement and enthusiasm, yes, life in the kingdom, and yet those words of Jesus, that there will be those who don't get it, there will be those who persecute you, there will be those who hate you, those will be, there will be those who, who call your name evil. Why? Because you are committed to the priorities of the kingdom of God. And the priorities, the value system of the kingdom of God run contrary to the value system of the world in which we live. And it seems to me that in those words, Jesus is offering both encouragement and caution. Remember, brothers and sisters, when, when the air starts coming out of the tires... We're not going to be refilled by turning to the value system of the world. We can only fill those life tires by returning to the relationships for which we were created. I think that's the lesson that Jesus is wanting his disciples to learn. Don, can we put that slide on the screen? We heard these words or read these words. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. This is where we began in our series. 
I just want you to turn to your neighbor and uh, share your response to those words. Spent the night praying to God. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Just say it to your neighbor. Have them say it to you. Okay, we ready? What was your What was your first response? Oh, what? I'm not staying up all night. What else? Oh, the Holy Spirit was involved, my dear. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why would it be supernatural strength? He was human after all, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good. Yeah, Craig. Yeah. Renewal of, of that primary relationship. There was another hint. Peg? Yeah. Good. Good observation. Ellen? Anguishing severe crisis is what drove you to that one time in your life. Thank you. Thanks for telling us that. Jeannie, was that your hand? Mm. Tell, me, tell me more about that had to do it. Had to be in the presence of God all night. Good words. Good words. Other. Sue? And, and, and we, we tend not to think that way. I mean, we've said these things before, you know, as we wrestle with the reality of the incarnation, fully God and fully human. Um, if, if you're like me, I tend to err on the side of fully human. Yeah, I fully divine, excuse me. You know, divinity always, always in my mind trumps humanity. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, 100% human. A lot of people wanting a piece of Jesus. Good, good, good stuff. And, and that is really where we went when we talked about this first priority relationship. You know, as, as I suggested to you, you know, we, we also looked at Mark chapter 1, and, and we get glimpses through the Gospels that Jesus is, is, you know, is going away to a quiet place. But just as, as John confesses in his Gospel that not everything about Jesus' life was recorded. It wouldn't have been possible, according to John. There weren't enough books in the world. I think that when we look at those occasional times away with with the Father, I'm guessing that they were regular times away with the Father. You know, not just occasional, but but the 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 relationship, the energy that that drove his life. And so as followers of Jesus We know, in our heads, we know that our relationship with God is of utmost importance. We know that it needs to be the center of our lives. We know that it is the priority that orders the other priorities. But the truth is, we struggle mightily on a daily basis to give it the priority of time that we give to so many other things. We, too, live in an environment, and, and they're different in terms of what it is that may pull at you. But the reality is, very few of us live a monk-type life. You know, there is a lot that is going on. There is a lot that is calling to us. And, and I believe it's a struggle that we're going to have until we take our last breath on this earth. 
And, and sometimes I, I find myself thinking, man, heaven is going to be so cool because I'm not going to be distracted. You probably never think that, do you? But I'm also here to say to myself first, that's a cop-out. That is just a cop-out. To think that I cannot make my relationship with God a priority in this life is simply saying that I don't really understand how desperately dependent I am upon God for my very breath. I don't think we have to wait until heaven. There is a change in our thinking that will help us find greater joy in His presence on this earth. And and it's a change that we talked about when when we said we need to somehow move this, this priority of time with God out of the category of drudgery. It's something that I have to do, and I want to speak back to what Lee said a minute ago, versus it's something that I get to do. It is something that is blessing. It is something that is privilege. And what I hear Lee saying is that Jesus knew that he had to do this. Jesus didn't have to do it in the sense of, oh my gosh, I've got to spend time with the Father. Jesus, you remember, had spent eternity with the Father before He came to earth and took on humanity. Who knew the wonder and the glory and the beauty of life with God better than the Son? Jesus was driven to time with God because it was absolutely the delight of of his soul. We need to think of our time with God as leisure activity. How many times have I thought, man, I just want to sit down and relax and watch TV. Oh, now there's a good use of my time. Because it it feeds my brain, you know? Just restores my soul. Nothing like a good dose of blacklist or CSI to really revive my soul. Here's what I think. Silly as it sounds, we have to remember that our God is personal. He's not some transcendental Shylock up there demanding his pound of flesh. He is personal. He has revealed himself in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, you know the verses, reminds us that in the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Translate that as, you really want to know the character of God? Look at Jesus. Wow. Wow. We must remember that God is personal, that God is relational. We were created to live in relationship with God. And I hope that you'll go back to Ephesians chapter 1, because that was our text when we talked about this. Be reminded of the nature of God that Paul weaves through that text in Ephesians 1 as he talks about our redemption. As he gives the account of our salvation, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And Paul is very clear that each one, Father, Son, and Spirit, were involved in the process of our redemption. It was the Father's plan from the beginning, from before the foundations of the world and the universe. It was the Son's willingness to sacrifice, to become human, to live a perfect life, and to die for our sin. It is the Spirit who comes to live in those who are the redeemed, making real for them the truth of who God is and guaranteeing our inheritance that is to come. That's all in Ephesians 1, by the way. We need to go back to those texts. We need to be reminded of the nature of this God that we talk about. Time spent with God is something that we get to do. And it's a right, it is a privilege that was not earned by any of us. It's a gift that flows from the gracious, loving nature of God. Father, Son, and Spirit. We must remember that to spend time with God is to spend time with Father, Son, and Spirit. Because they're never apart. It is a community. And it is an invitation to come into that community. The Father invites us. The Son brings us into the glorious presence. And the Spirit enables us to hear and to see and experience the reality of God in ways that are not possible for those who do not belong to God. And so, when we aren't intentional about making this a priority in our lives. It seems to me that we're living way beneath our privilege as the children of God. I think we need to understand. Again, it's just rethinking. Rethinking our thinking. We need to understand that that God and our relationship with Him is the highest privilege that we have in life. If we're going to experience the blessing that it is, we, we must be like Jesus. Intentional in getting away to be with God. And, and now, it doesn't start with all night for pity's sake. It starts with, with something bite-sized that fits your life. Valuing God for what He has done for us so that we make time just to be with Him. And and who knows, but that it might not grow into an all-night event. And if you're like me, you're kind of sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I hope it doesn't. (laughs) But even in that thought, we reveal that we do not know the nature and the character of God. Because if we did, I think we'd never have those thoughts. So, challenge. Make time in your life for God. Put it on your calendar. Be intentional about being with Him and and enjoying Him in the community to which God has invited you into. Come to God with His Word in your hands and in your heart, with praises and with thanksgiving. And I would suggest, at least initially, don't come with your list of wants. 
That is not the way you come into the presence of your spouse. Or at least it better not be. It's not the, the way you come into the presence of a dear friend. Why God? Why this personal, relational God, Father, Son, and Spirit? Let our study together in the past of Jesus teaching His followers to pray. Let that be your guide. Spend time praising Him. And if it's just you and Him, there's nobody else listening. So you don't even have to be conscious of what others think of what you say. Make your requests known to Him based on His presence and His rule in heaven. Your desire for His will to be made known on earth as it is in heaven. And, and oh yeah, those, those requests, yeah, my daily bread, take care of that, Father. Talk with God about issues of forgiveness. Be honest with the one who has forgiven you great offenses. Be honest with Him, Father, Son, and Spirit, about the struggles that you have to be forgiving of others when they hurt you. Let the Spirit, as you spend time in that community, remind you of His lavish and undeserved love and forgiveness. Start with those small, manageable, bite-sized chunks of time away from distractions. And just see how God begins to reveal Himself in ways that you've never learned or known before. Blesses those times in His presence. So the first priority of life for the follower of Jesus is intentional time with God. And it's not because we have to. It's because we get to. And maybe that's the first thing that we need to say with God. When we set that date and we show up, maybe we just need to be honest and say, God, too often, I'm here because I think I have to be. When what my heart really wants is to know you so much, I just can't wait for these times together. That's relational God. That is our, our loving God. From the time with his father that Jesus spent on that night on the mountainside, spent with father and spirit, Jesus called his apostles and we noted how Luke carefully records their names, including Judas, who Luke says became a traitor. The second priority of life for a follower of Jesus is that of time spent with other believers. My brothers and sisters, that too has to be intentional. And the reason it has to be intentional is because time spent with other believers is another source of air that goes in the tires of our life. But we've got to keep the priority straight. If we're not spending that quality time with our Father and being blessed and encouraged and invigorated and recharged and inflated by the love of the community that God is, then what we're going to do is we're going to go into those relationships that are down here on the horizontal and begin to look for 
those things that only God can give us. And that leads to a world of hurt and disappointment. Because as much as I love you guys, you're not God. In fact, you'd make lousy gods. Me too. Me too. That's the nature of it. Remember those words that I read to you from Heather King, writer, NPR commentator. She's speaking about Christian community, and she said, there's humiliation of discovering that we are thrown in with extremely uncompromising people. Unpromising people, excuse me. Unpromising people. People who are broken and misguided and wishy-washy out for themselves. People who are us. She said, but we don't come to church to be with people who are like us in the way we want them to be. We, become, we come because we have staked our souls on the fact that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the church, the community of God's people, is the best place, the only place, to be while we struggle to figure out what that means. We come because we'd be hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of the two scandals, that God loves us or that He loves everyone else. I can understand why God loves me. I can't understand why He loves you. The challenge of community, the challenge of being in life together and sharing life together in Christ, I think is one of the, the, the most powerful and significant learning experiences for us as God's people. Most of us, I, I don't think we really understand to the depths of our being that that life together as the people of God, when it is lived out by the power of the Spirit in obedience to the one another's of Scripture, because the Scripture calls us to, to bear with one another and to be patient, to forgive and to cur- encourage and to walk with, to be kind and to be gentle and to be patient, all those things that just come so naturally for us as fallen creatures. as the Spirit of God gives us the power to live that out, it becomes a glorious expression of the wonder and diversity of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. It is a witness to who God is, diverse yet one. The mystery of God is that Father, Son, and Spirit, all different, are one. One plus one plus one equals one. That's terrible math. That's the mystery. And that's the mystery that we proclaim to the world when they observe and experience us being unified and one. The oneness of God does not mean sameness. The Father is not the Son. When Jesus prayed all night on the mountain, He was not praying to Himself. When Jesus told His followers that it was going to be a great thing for Him to leave so that the Spirit could come, He was not talking about a reinvented version of Himself. Father, Son, Spirit. Separate persons, yet one in intimacy and purpose and in the life that they share together. It hurts my head. I, I, just don't, I just don't get it. But I know that it is the truth of what Scripture teaches us. None 
of them. Father, Son, Spirit, they don't do anything on their own. They live and they move and they act as one. Father, Son, and Spirit. Three, but one. Imagine. Imagine what could happen in this world if God's people really understood what Jesus was praying for in John 17. Oneness, unity in their life together. And when he prayed that prayer, Judas was still a part of the group. Judas was still a part of the group. The great challenge of community, of life together, is our willingness to believe that God can really forgive those great sins that someone else has committed that have never been a part of my life. And you struggle with the same thing. How could God love someone like that? Well, I can say that because I've never been like that in the particular sin. What we need to do in times that we spend with the Father and the Son and the Spirit is to ask them to fill our hearts and our minds with an understanding of how great my sin was before them. How great my sin was that put Jesus on the cross. Not how great someone else's sin is. That's not my problem. How great my sin was that God has forgiven. Jesus' prayer for unity and oneness amongst his followers was far more than a desire that they just get along and be nice to one another. That certainly is helpful. But he's got a whole lot more in mind there that they would understand. And as a result of His presence in them through the indwelling of the Spirit, they would understand that they were sharing and participating in the very life of God. And so, brothers and sisters, do we make life together a priority? How well do we really know one another? I I think there's just something so significant in Luke writing the names for us. Jesus knew them well. Do we know one another well? Do we know one another's stories? Do we understand how knowing one another's stories can encourage and enlighten our understanding of God's grace and love and forgiveness? The second highest priority of our lives. Henry Nouwen says, that community is the place of our sanctification. We need community. Community always calls us back to the source of that community because the nature of it reminds us that we cannot get from another human being only what God can give. He is so right. The priority of God first fills our souls and allows us to become to one another what He calls us to be. His filling of us guides our words and actions, and controls our expectations of each other. If only you would behave like I think you should, 
That does not come from the Spirit of God. <clears throat> Just in case you were concerned. His love and His grace dictates our behavior with one another. What a witness that becomes to a watching world. And finally, just a quick reminder of the third priority of the life of a follower. We looked at this last week together. Ministry to others. Luke records for us that Jesus and his apostles came down from the mountain, engaged in ministry to the huge crowd that awaited them. And they did that all through Jesus' life together. But you recall that that last Sunday we looked at that story in Mark where, again, it was a scene like this one on the mountainside. Great things happening. The town of Capernaum. People wanting to be with Jesus and Jesus healing until late in the night and then early in the morning he was off while it was still dark to spend time with his father as I think he did every single day. And when his disciples woke up sometime around 10 in the morning, they came to find him. Said, Jesus, we got great things planned for you. Remember that guy who's, you know, you, you, you cast a demon out? Well, you brought all the siblings, and there's a bunch of demons in them. Oh, man, remember that guy whose, whose arm was shriveled? Well, he, he brought the shriveled arm community. And they're all waiting. Ready for you, Jesus. And you remember Jesus said, Let's go somewhere else to the villages nearby so that I can preach there also because that is what I came to do. And our lesson last week was the priority of ministry to others in the name of Jesus. You know, that saying that a cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus is always better than just a cup of cold water. And that we as, as God's people, as, as the Spirit leads us both individually and together to minister and to give of ourselves for the sake of others who, who don't know Him, that the Spirit would remind us always that the highest human need, the greatest human need, is that people be rightly related to God. That they know God through the salvation of His Son, Jesus. No matter the need that is presented to us, a person's greatest need is to be rightly related to God through the Lord Jesus. And so, we were reminded that person's highest, greatest needs are, are to be in relationship with Jesus and that it seems at least from the account of Jesus, that he never ministered alone. He was always with his followers. Ministry was always happening with them together. I think there's great lesson in that as well. You remember we mentioned the Messiah complex. It's good to be in relationship with others and ministry with others because they remind us of who we are not. They call us lovingly and gently to to accountability. To remember where the source of our blessing and our strength, where our resources come from. They come from God. They remind us that ministry is not about numbers. 
Ministry is always about life change with a heart's desire that persons find Jesus. Brothers and sisters, my prayer will continue to be for you and for me that we will visit often the priorities of this text in Luke 6. We have been called into gracious, mysterious, loving community in relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We have been called into community with one another to share the life and to live the life that we live in relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, with one another as His people for the sake of the world who is yet to know Jesus. And out of that flows ministry that is directed and empowered, sometimes restrained by the leading of God's Spirit to the lives of His people for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our God. Our God, our Father. Jesus, you gave us permission to call your Father our Father. What a privilege. What a blessing. What a life changer. We thank you, Father, for your love and your grace that was present before the creation of this universe to love lost and broken people, to redeem them back to yourself for your great glory. Lord Jesus, we cannot thank you enough for being willing as the eternal Son to take on the misery of our flesh, the brokenness and the fallenness of this world in which we live, that you might redeem us through your death, the perfect sacrifice, as John reminds us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Holy Spirit, where would we be without you who have opened our hearts and our minds to even be able to, to, to grasp in a small way the magnificence of this truth? Where would we be had it not been for your superintending guidance over the course of hundreds and thousands of years? those who recorded the mighty works of God that we have today preserved for us in your scripture. What an amazing truth. Father, Son, and Spirit. As you have called us into relationship with yourself, would you graciously continue your work in our lives? 
would you remind us on a daily basis of how desperate we are for you? Feel free to just knock us upside the head on those days when we forget that. Bring us humbly to our knees before you again. May our times with you be times of great joy and great blessing as we experience life together with you. May we be moved beyond that sense of have to to that sense of yes, we get to. And may the life that that generates in us spill over into the life that we share together as your people so that the world who watches us, whomever they may be, and however that happens, learns of you through the way that we live our lives. For the glory and the praise of you, O God, Father, Son, and Spirit. In the name of Jesus, the Son, we pray. Amen.